0: Welcome to the summer series of the Happy Startup School podcasts. For this limited edition, we'll be shining a spotlight on the speakers and the workshop leaders who'll be at our summer camp in September. In this episode, we have Eugenie Teasley. She's the CEO of the Goodall Foundation. She also founded Spark and Metal, a charity back in 2011. She's been an RSA fellow as well as Clore Social Leadership Fellow. She's also been named one of 35 women under 35 in the UK back in 2014. I've really enjoyed this conversation. We talk about education as well as her transition from being a teacher to being a CEO. So stick around to learn more. I'm your host, Katrina Tan. I'm a video and design creative based in Rome, Italy. And I met Lawrence and Carlos in the mountains of France while attending their Altitude retreat. They thought they had terrible podcast voices, so they asked me to step in. The Happy Startup School, which they founded, is a community of like-minded entrepreneurs and change makers who believe there's more to work than money. This community is passionate about making a positive impact in the world without sacrificing what's important to them. The Summer Camp is an annual gathering for the community to reconnect and re-inspire each other. You can find out more at happystartupsummer.camp. Now back to our conversation with Eugenie. Thank you so much. Eugenie, I am so curious to know, from your experience, how has it been like transitioning from being an educator to now being a CEO of a company?
1: It's a great question, and it's been quite a long journey from being in the classroom to Now running a very small organization, I'm certainly not in charge of anything colossal. I often refer to the Goodall Foundation in comparison to something like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That if the Gates Foundation is the size of a table that you're sitting at, the Goodall Foundation isn't really even one speck in the grain of wood. (laughs) <laughs> um, so it really is teeny tiny. But the uh, the journey, yeah, it's been a long one. But I think that I have been constantly trying to seek out how I can best support young people from less privileged circumstances and have been experimenting in different ways of doing that. And teaching for me was a great initial opportunity to work directly and learn from young people Um, I was teaching in South Mm -hmm. London only for two and a half years so I was one of those teachers who gets trained and then who leaves and my admiration for the teachers who stay and keep doing what they're doing and doing it brilliantly yeah that, that admiration knows no bounds but I was one of the quitters but I quit because I felt like I could find more appropriate ways for me as an individual to to work with these young people and actually within the bounds of the education system teaching a particular subject so I was teaching English and media studies they weren't subjects that I was particularly enthralled by Mm -hmm. I wasn't passionate about them I'd never learned media studies myself and I'd given up English as soon as I could after GCSE so my heart and soul weren't in the subjects they were just in with working with the young people themselves and the pastoral side of the role of the teacher Mm -hmm but schools are set for supporting formal education and learning you know and they're subjects based and so i thought that maybe i could find another route to supporting young people in this pastoral mm. way that was that was better suited yeah. so that's why that's kind of why i left teaching and then tried to find different avenues that i could work with young people that's
0: amazing i read up a little bit about how you got started with the charity you founded spark and metal and I I read that you wanted to support young people in the non-cognitive and non-academic stuff that they needed to succeed in life. Could you go a little bit deeper on that, the soft um, skills, which I think not a lot of schools out there teach, and uh, also maybe this is a way you can share with us your perspective on what the current education system looks like.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm fascinated about all the sort of the nebulous soft stuff that enables people to succeed. So some of that is social and cultural. So it's about the networks you have and the people that you know. And some of that is about what is internal to you as an individual that appears kind of like this process of osmosis as you grow up. So just as we learn a language, whatever our mother tongue is, We also kind of uh, subsume and adopt various strengths and skills and develop them as we go and we're kind of not really conscious of Mm -hmm. them and oftentimes our parents and teachers and the people around us aren't really conscious of what we're teaching or sharing and about these things as well so I'm really interested about how to make these implicit skills and strengths explicit and to make them uh, known to people to understand what they can use in themselves uh, to help them succeed and flourish and fulfill their potential. And I think that actually when I first started out with Spark and Metal, that was a less common theme. But I do think that they've taken, this has been taken up in education in the UK and in the US and elsewhere. Um, Examples are things like resilience or grit or metal of Spark and Metal. There are things like zest or spark um, or passion there are things like creativity right. uh, and not just in terms of artistic skill, but in terms of creative thinking of the mind, being able to think logically. And then there are lots of the, what employers and businesses might refer to as the interpersonal skills. So how you relate to other people,
0: yeah.
1: um, whether you come across as an introvert or an extrovert, whether you help draw other people out of themselves, how to develop how you can work collaboratively and um, also then also your leadership skills and you help bring people along with you. Those are the sorts of things that I'm really interested in. And there's a whole science that is that evolved around this that comes out of both.
0: That is so um, fascinating.
1: Traditional, traditional psychology, there's now positive psychology. There's a lot around philosophy and moral philosophy. There are lots of places where these things collide as, w- as well as formal education and, and pedagogy. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going yeah. on in this area now. And for me, it's about how you can disseminate all the clever learning and understanding that's going on at universities and colleges and institutions around the world. And just make that useful for the young people who could most benefit from understanding about about these things. Um, so how do you translate the formal academic learning into Actual, practical, interesting, engaging ways of enabling young people to develop these sorts of things in themselves. Wow, that's
0: I'm so inspired by what you're doing, and I'm curious. You are currently working in the Goodall Foundation. You are operating yes. from the barge in the Brighton Marina. So, what's yes. the barge about, and how is that tied to what you do? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a very good question.
0: I um, you asked lots of good questions. The
1: um, <laughs> So, I ran Spackle Metal for about five years. I set it up and ran it. And when I went on maternity leave for the second time, mm. I decided that I didn't want to go back and and run it as the CEO any longer for all sorts of reasons. And I wanted to find something else. I wanted to find something local to Brighton where I live. I wanted to find something where I could be on the other side of the fence, whereas rather than asking for funds or finding resources myself, I could be in an organisation that has those resources to be able to give to other Mm organisations. I wanted, again, a kind of constant search for how I can um, be most useful. Um, Sparkle Metal did lots of good and interesting things, but there were lots of things that it it didn't do brilliantly and that we could learn from. And I don't believe that charities, once they get set up, or any organisation, needs to exist forever, and realized that actually we could achieve some of the same mission, the mission and the objectives that Spark and Metal had through other means. Right. So I was really lucky to be taken on by a man who is an entrepreneur and a property developer who basically pretty much owns Brighton Marina. So the marina here right. in Brighton. And uh, when he was trying to set up his own charitable foundation. So that's what the Goodall Foundation is and what I helped set up.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And in the process of doing that, we actually incorporated uh, spark and metal and the kind of theory, a lot of the uh, IP, the intellectual property that we developed. So the projects, programs, toolkits, etc., have been incorporated by the Goodall Foundation. That's
0: wonderful.
1: In the meantime, so the barge, which you were asking about as well, is it was a actually formally it was a floating Chinese restaurant <laughs> that had been in the okay. for about 20 years. And the owners had sold it last year, and some other people were going to scrap it. At which point my boss came along and said, "No, that's a waste. It's three and a half thousand uh, square feet of space that could be used for positive social ends. So we've just finished renovating it, and the foundation is now based out of the barge, and we enable local charities and charitable projects to come and run events the barge so we put a kind of community and youth space in the heart of Brighton Marina which is I would say focused more on commercial <laughs> than, than community or cultural so we're trying to shift that a little bit and widen the offer of what the marina has.
0: That's very exciting and I think it must be really fun to operate as a CEO of a foundation from a barge
1: <laughs> yes, it's really fun and actually it reminds me I took a role at an amazing and hugely inspirational organization out in San Francisco before and during and after I was studying for a masters out at Berkeley. The organization is called 826 Valencia, which is a nonprofit set up by an American writer and activist called Dave Eggers. It was a it was one of those nonprofits where unusually the public get to see what happens on a day-to-day basis within an organization Mm -hmm. because it had a shop front and then behind the shop front they had a a lab where young people would come in and they would have help with their homework and they would work on creative projects and write books and do all sorts of mad crazy exciting things and it was very open and transparent and the staff and the um, participants and the public could all see what everybody was doing all the time Um, And it was really amazing. And what's lovely about being back on the barge is that there are other organisations and projects there. But rather than being removed, being this funding organisation that's sitting in a smart, you know, art filled office somewhere in central London, we are right next door to the projects that are happening. And it is kind of like a live feedback in what's working, what kids are responding to, how we can better support and serve the organizations that we're partnering with. Um, So it feels immediate and present, um, and that is really engaging. That's amazing.
0: And yeah, it's definitely different from organizations not totally being in touch with the actual results of what the company's trying to achieve.
1: With a boating metaphor, it keeps us anchored, I guess. I love that. (laughs) understanding what's going on
0: amazing um i'm curious so transitioning from opening and then eventually closing down your the charity you founded into then now being absorbed into the foundation it sounds like it wasn't a very hard or difficult transition for you or was it
1: um I don't think it's as uh, as hard for me as it might have been um, in other circumstances because I was going in to set something up new. I basically it was that it was the best of both worlds of the kind of entrepreneurial getting something set up world but also the world of reassurance and security mm-hmm. of having a team ready to go a sort of administrative team and functions which at least in the charity world that I had previously known was something that I had never had. I'd never had a bookkeeper or a finance officer or an HR lead or anybody Mm -hmm. else. And when setting up the Goodall Foundation, I had access to all the people who work for my boss's day to day business um, who could support with all those administrative functions, which, like many entrepreneurs, I am not the most administratively minded mm-hmm. human in the world, um, or at least not always, not consistently. Um, so to have a team there ready was hugely reassuring. But yeah, but it was something brand new. So it was still in the this, this space of creating something from stra- scratch scratch. But without the financial pressure and worry of then having to raise the funds in order to have it set up, which is what I had to do with Spark and Metal. And honestly, five years down after doing that and two kids later, Mm. the freedom and excitement uh, and madness of setting something up from scratch with no money to do it kind of lost its shiny sheeny. um, And the security of doing this made it a lot more appealing. Right. I think it would have been a really hard transition to go straight into a big corporate from having set something up myself. Mm -hmm. So this was a nice sweet spot that I found myself in and still find myself in now.
0: Great. So you're going to be talking about making an impact with a boss. That's what you're going to be presenting at in this year's summer camp. And I'm fascinated with your perspective. I think a lot of entrepreneurs imagine themselves wanting to be without a boss. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs assume that that's the dream life, right, to be independent, be your own boss, but then you're basically saying that you can make an impact being the second in command, basically. Would you care to talk a little bit more about what that means?
1: Uh, yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. One is, I think when I was younger, so I set up matter in my late 20s. So for entrepreneurs, for many of them, that's about 15 years after they start doing their own things. So I might have been a late starter sort of entrepreneurially. But I loved being sort of responsible to no one um, or just could call the shots myself and I had been advised when I set up Sparkle Metal just to get friends with different work experience and skills and knowledge as the board of trustees as opposed to the old grey-haired great and good folk um, so that it could be a live dynamic it could feel like a startup but it was just a charitable one as opposed to a for-profit one. Uh, so that's what I did. And it was great. And it was responsive and it was fast and it was energetic and it was lively. But quite soon after I started, I was really craving accountability. Mm. Um, and it's not that I didn't get that through the board of trustees. But I think that there's something about um, working with people who have been in the world of work and just in the world for longer Um Uh, I think that's a really uh, the intergenerational stuff, I think, is really important. Um, And one of the reasons I really enjoyed being on the CLAW fellowship was because we were listening to and learning from people who were much further down their career um, and using that as kind of points of reflection and consideration for ourselves as the younger next generation sort of moving on in their career so i was i was craving accountability and sort of experience and wisdom and mentorship to look Mm -hmm. up to and i didn't uh get that that mentorship and wisdom directly from the board of trustees that we'd that i'd had around me Uh, i got a gazillion other things um but not not exactly that so actually going into work for somebody else who has a totally different background, who's been in business forever, and I'd never been hired and worked for a for-profit company my entire professional career. Right. And not just him, but the kind of much wider team. That has been a huge, huge plus to learn from that and to be answerable to, to others. And I think secondly, there is just something about collaboration. The more, the older I get, yeah. <laughs> and the more I realize that genuinely working with a group of people as equals rather than being the sole out in front leader is something that really appeals to me Um, and so actually being part of a team that when it is working well it feels like you're kind of singing together
0: um,
1: is something that I find real joy in Um, and so to have that opportunity and not to be the one who's kind of all the way out front but to be part of that pack is something that I have really relished and cherished um, in the last year or so that I've been doing I this. love it.
0: Well, I'm sure you'll have more to share in the actual summer camp. So for those of you who haven't got the tickets yet, this is an invitation for you to get the last few remaining at happystartupsummer.camp. This has been a really great conversation and I'm so grateful for you making the time. Is there a goal, an end goal in your mind that you continue to aspire and reach for?
1: I have a weird self-defeating goal, which is, mm. I've mentioned the word privilege before and less privileged sort of several times through this conversation. And I think I have one of the most privileged roles of being able to work with and support organizations affecting real change for young people, uh, both in the UK and overseas. And my kind of goal is that I wouldn't be needed, that that this role wouldn't need to exist. And in fact, that the charity, the foundation wouldn't need to exist anymore. Um, uh, That for me would be like the true goal um, that if it didn't have to exist. But in the meantime, um, if I can find ways of identifying and supporting the people in the communities who are making change and supporting the people around them on a daily basis and finding ways of supporting them to do that better not necessarily bigger and not necessarily scaling but just in a way that they think would improve what they're currently doing that for me is is what I'm what I'm striving for um because I think that the the real change doesn't even though I'm next door to what's happening in projects on the barge and stuff at the moment I'm not really the one who knows best about this stuff but if I can find the other people with the answers and connect them with others who have different resources and ideas to make sustainable impactful rooted change then that's what really drives me and gets me excited about
0: doing what i do this is so i'm so happy to speak with you and i'm glad to hear (laughs) that there are people like you out there who actually have these kinds of aspirations and one last thing is there anything that you are so looking forward to at summer camp
1: i find huge just delight and joy in being surrounded by energetic, hopeful, innovative humans and to be in a place with other minds like that just always gives me new ideas, uh, forging new connections and shifting my approach and outlook. So that's very selfish, but yeah, I think I'm going to get a huge amount from little conversations with the the people that I get to meet and connect with while I'm there.
0: Well, guys, this is your chance to meet Eugenie Teasley in person at summer camp this year in September. Thank you for speaking with me today. I really appreciate you being on and I wish you all the best with your work. You go, Eugenie.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been great.
0: I hope this conversation has inspired you listeners who've already got summer camp tickets. And for those of you who haven't already, it isn't too late to grab the last few remaining. Sign up at happystartupsummer.camp. It's going to be a gathering unlike anything you've been to before. Thank you again for listening. And I hope you check in again next week for another episode of our summer series of the Happy Startup School Summer Camp podcasts. I'm your host, Katrina Tan, signing off. Stay awesome, stay curious, stay happy.